0: Ephesians 6, 10 through 14, it's on the screen. Let's read it together. It's on the back of your programs, and if if you need a Bible, we've got them on the back table. They're free. Also on the back of your program, there's an outline with this morning's talk. We encourage you to track with it, fill in the blanks. Those verses are right there as well. So you ready? Yo. Yo. Here we go. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, Put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. Father, we want to thank you this morning for your word. We get to read it. Not only do we get to read it, Lord, but we can apply it to our lives. And this morning... We pray for an explosion of your word in our souls and our hearts and our lives, that we will apply it to each one of us, Lord. No more pushing back, no more resisting. But Lord, you are our banner in how we celebrate our mighty God. We lift up the great name of Jesus this morning. We follow after the banner, Jesus Christ. He goes before us. He prepares the way for us. He never abandons us. Lord, we are grateful that we can serve a God like you. And today, everybody, each person, has brought in with them situations, circumstances from the past week or month that might be weighing them down. Lord, I pray that you will see each person where they're at their search for you, their questions about you, their doubts about you. Lord, we're grateful that you are faithful, that you're here to make a difference in each one of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Our God, um, my God, um, my God, Emmanuel. <laughs> Man, we're we're going to talk. It's it's a serious topic today, but as a follower of Jesus Christ. We can enjoy our relationship with the Lord. We can enjoy it. If you're not enjoying it, I pray that you'll reach a tipping point in your life where you allow God to have His way. One of the main reasons why people do not enjoy their relationship with Christ is because they're living a compromised lifestyle. They're not agreeing with what God has to say about things of life. And so they, you know, they obey a little here and they obey a little there. But you'd want to talk about a frustrated person, man. When you're living a compromised walk with Christ, it's frustrating. It's empty. You've got to go all in, man. I want to encourage you to do that this morning. So... Let that happen. On May 1st, 1915, the Lusitania set sail from New York City to Liverpool. Almost 2,000 people were on board, children, infants as well. Man, the Lusitania, back in the day, it was an incredible ship. It was fast in the water, it was comfortable, it was luxurious, man. It had all the benefits. it was, it was the way to travel back in the day. But unfortunately, the this would be its last voyage. And here's the reason why. Days before the ship left New York, the Imperial German Embassy placed a warning advertisement in over 50 papers in America, including several newspapers in New York City. This is what it said. Notice... Travelers intending to embark on the Atlantic voyage are reminded that a state of war exists between Germany and her allies and Great Britain and her allies, that the zone of war includes the waters adjacent to the British Isles, that in accordance with formal notice given by the imperial German government, vessels flying the flag of Great Britain or any of her allies are liable to destruction in those waters And that travelers sailing in the war zone on the ships of Great Britain or her allies do so at their own risk. It was signed, Imperial German Embassy, Washington, D.C., April 22, 1915. Well, despite the ad, despite the warning, the people that got on the Lusitania that day, man, they were waving from their ship as it was pulling out of Uh, out of shore to their friends and relatives that were remaining in New York, and they were just so excited about their trip. They were looking forward to hitting their first-class cabins, enjoying all the food and the amenities that the ship would have to offer. Six days later, May 7th, near the the end of their voyage, they were getting close to Ireland. A German U-boat spotted the ship. 665 yards out, orders were given for a torpedo to be fired at the ship, which it did. One torpedo hit the ship. Seawater began pouring in, and in the process, people jumped overboard. People were killed. In fact, over 1,100 people died because of one torpedo. Never before had an attack on a civilian ship ever occurred. Well, what happened was people thought, the people getting on to Lusitania figured, you know what, if this warning is true, we know that the Germans will send out a warning they will allow us to get into our lifeboats, and once we're safely away on those lifeboats, then they will torpedo the ship. But they didn't do that. There was no warning. The warning was in the paper ahead of time. No warning, they shot the torpedo and in a matter of 18 minutes, the Lusitania sunk at the bottom of the ocean. Friends, you and I are living in a war zone, just like those folks who read the article, read the warning that they were entering um, international waters where a war was taking place. Unfortunately, the people on the Lusitania figured, man, I'm going to be a first-class person here. I'm going, to, I'm going to have a life of luxury. Uh, I paid for my ticket. I want to ask you this morning, what kind of Lusitania are you living in right now that's preventing you from living your life in a way that's being aware that there is a war raging for your soul right now? What is it? What's preventing you from going all in with God? You know, so often we live our lives, you know, um, immediate gratification or I can, I can procrastinate. I can make that decision for God some other day, but I want to live my life the way I want to right now. And I don't really care about the consequences because I know God forgives. You know, we go on and on about stuff like that. I want to tell you straight up that you're playing, you're flirting with your soul for all eternity it's dangerous ground. Charles Spurgeon, famous preacher in England back in the 1800s, wrote, When you sleep, remember that you are resting on the battlefield. When you travel, suspect and ambush in every hedge. It's good advice. It's good advice. Now, saying that, um, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you have to realize, yes, there's an enemy. But the God who is my banner, who goes before me, he has won the victory. I'm following behind him. And so instead of being paralyzed by Satan and his demons out of fear, intimidation, we focus in on Jesus Christ and his greatness, aware that there is an enemy. But we don't have to be robbed of the joy of living with Christ because of it. Beginning in November, we're going to be starting a new series on the book of Revelation. It's going to be an overview of that book. And in the book of Revelation, you will find that Satan shows up through different ways and through people to deceive human beings, to make them think that what they believe in is true. But ultimately, Satan has a destiny. In the lake of fire. And I would submit to you this morning that if he is your father, God is not your father, but he is your father, you are destined to follow in behind him in the lake of fire, eternally separated from God. We'll talk more about that in a moment, but the book of Revelation puts light, more light on the enemy, and it puts more light on the greatness of God, our banner that we get to serve him, we get to follow him with confidence and enjoy that relationship all the way until we're called home to be in heaven with him. So, number one in your notes, engaged in a spiritual battle. Paul is writing a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Notice he starts out by saying a final word. What's he saying? Paul has been writing this letter, to the church at Ephesus, he's coming to the conclusion, and he's saying it's a final word, but he's not quite finished yet. In fact, he's pulling back the curtain on life to show that, hey, in a real world, there is a spiritual battle raging. Now, we know in Ephesus in the day, the goddess Diana was worshiped by people who came from all around the world, and, she, and they would think that this goddess Diana was it, Man, she was God, small g. Paul was fully aware of that. But he was saying, besides people worshiping this false God, there is a spiritual battle raging for the soul of every person, not only attending the church in Ephesus, but around the world who puts their faith in Christ. It's real. It's real. The tragedy is so many people don't take this battle seriously. You know, they think they're going to go take a little vacation on a Lusitania. German U-boats are out there, but they're never going to come after me, you know. And we, and we go on and on about that. You know, it'll never happen to me. I've got, I've got my life together. I've got it all figured out. Well, the Christian life is a battle. And the sooner that you and I can recognize that, the better off we will be. A couple of weeks ago, Debbie and I were in New York Visiting Bo Renata and Ahava, our granddaughter. And um, we, Debbie and I took Ahava in the stroller, the buggy, boom, and we walked towards the water, the ocean. We're in Brooklyn, we're walking to the water, beautiful day, it's sunny, blue skies. And across the water, we see Manhattan. And in Manhattan, we see the beautiful skyline, man. It's just beautiful. It's beautiful. And you think, how cool it is, man, you know, to be at this place. But if you go in reverse in American history into the 1700s, Manhattan one day long ago was a battlefield. George Washington and his men during the Revolutionary War were surrounded on Manhattan. It looked like the British were going to overrun them, and they would be defeated, and the future for this particular war was at risk. But something incredible happened. God intervened on behalf of George Washington and his men, and he sent in a very, very deep fog. In fact, people in New York would say, we never saw a a fog so thick as we did that particular morning. What that did was it gave George Washington and his men the opportunity to get into lifeboats and escape from Manhattan to fight another day against the British. So when you look at the beautiful sky in Manhattan, it looks so beautiful. (gasps) But there was a battleground at one time. In fact, just last week we were reminded of September 11, 2001, when another battle took place in Manhattan, when the Twin Towers were hit and destroyed. Destruction was everywhere because of it. People living in fear. War. Could this be another war? Those buildings are gone. A new one's replaced it. And so when you look at Manhattan, you could, just, you could just see, man, man, Manhattan is beautiful, but forget what's happened there. We can live our lives, so to speak, looking at the beautiful skyline of Manhattan, but, but forget what's happened. And friend, your life is a battleground. It's not a playground. And Paul is reminding you and me this morning That as a follower of Jesus Christ, when we put our faith in Christ, we signed up for a battle. Because the enemy hates you. He hates you, first of all, because God made you. He hates anything God makes. The second reason why he hates you is because you chose to make him your God and not Satan. And he hates it. And so he will do everything he can to distract you, disturb you, frustrate you, deceive you. To where your relationship with Christ is floundering. It's weak. And so today, as we look at, we are engaged in a spiritual battle. Paul zeroes in, not only that, but he talks about the enemy. Subpoint number one, verse 11 Put on all God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Now notice, Paul is talking about the strategies of the devil. You've heard me say it many times before, but in our seminaries where young men and women are being trained for ministry, full-time ministry, many of the seminaries today are teaching that, number one, there is no devil, and number two, there is no hell. All you have to do is read your Bible and find out that's not true. Because Jesus himself said, there is a devil. In John eight forty four, he says, for you are the children of your father, the devil. Let's talk about that for a moment. Jesus said, I want to teach you how to pray. and When you pray, you say, our father, who art in heaven. Who's our father? He's the banner that we sang about just moments ago. We raise that banner. He is our heavenly father. What Jesus is saying is if you are not living for God or put your faith in him, and God is not your heavenly father, your heavenly father is the devil. It's one or the other. There is no gray God where you can settle in and say, well, I don't want to live for the devil and I don't want to live for, no, 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 no. Jesus has already made up his mind about that. He settled it. It's either God or it's the devil. And he says in John eight forty four, you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, it is consistent with his character for he is a liar and the father of lies. I can endorse that because I believe Satan's lies, friend. I did for years. When I looked at my self-image and my identity, I believed what Satan said about me, and I said, God, what you said about me, you're lying. Isn't that weird? God can't lie, Satan can't tell the truth, and I'm believing the liar, and I'm dissing God, the truth teller. Isn't that crazy? So many of us, as followers of Christ, live our lives like that. And so I had to confess that sin ultimately to the Lord. And he began to renew my mind, and I'll tell you what, man, the chains and the shackles began to fall off. It's, it's it's incredible to live your life like that. So he's a liar. Satan's a liar. He's the father of lies. If you're not living for God today, you're listening to the liar and the father of lies, and your father is the devil. I know it doesn't sound warm and cozy, but it's the truth. Paul says we're not fighting against flesh and blood. In other words, we're not fighting against human beings. Sometimes you think your spouse is the enemy, don't you? Yeah, they're the bad one. I've said this before too. God loves to use your spouse as sandpaper to rough all the, to get rid of all the rough edges in your life, to expose your selfishness, to realize that you need to become more like Christ to your spouse. God does it on purpose. How cool is that? (laughs) I didn't get any yo's out of that one. Yo? Yo! Yo, you know what yo means, don't you? It means I agree with that. That's the paraphrase on amen. Yo. I agree with that. I'm I'm behind it wholeheartedly. That's, That's right on, man. So, against evil rulers, authorities in the unseen world, mighty powers in the dark world, evil spirits in heavenly places. Man, what... Paul is writing about is there is a lot of demonic activity going on in this world. Should that make you afraid? No. No, it shouldn't. It just should make you aware. Make you aware of what's going on. First Peter. So Paul signs on to the fact that there is a spiritual battle raging. Peter signs on to it in 1 Peter 5.8, where he says, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He's your enemy. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So Peter's saying uh, Satan's like a hunter. He's hunting for something to destroy. And the second thing is Satan calls him a lion. Now, when I was a little dude growing up in Chicago area, we would go to the Brookfield Zoo. If you ever been to the Brookfield Zoo, man, it's, it's a cool place. I've been to the Madison Zoo, but man, it's nothing like the Brookfield Zoo. I, I, today, if I had a vote, I'd go for the Madison Zoo because you can get in in and through it in an hour. You know? Yeah, you can, can, I've been there, I'm out. They've got two lions there. Eh, It's all right. Well, man, you go to the Brookfield Zoo, five o'clock in the afternoon. Oh, baby, the roaring that goes on in that place. I mean, the entire zoo kind of shakes at its core when these lions are saying, I'm hungry. And so it draws, it's like a magnet. Everybody's got to get to the lion cages, man, and see all these lions just pacing like crazy, waiting to get the meat. There's a commercial about that somewhere, the meat, Arby's, Arby's. Well, they don't give them Arby's stuff, you know? So when you look at the, when you look at the lion and the image of a lion that's hungry, that. Peter is zeroing in, that's what Satan is looking like. And unfortunately, people think, well, I, you know, I, I go to the zoo, I see the lion in the flesh, but I don't see Satan, I don't see the demonic activity, I don't see it, so I don't believe it. Well, that's okay, that's okay. There's a lot of things in this life that you don't see but are real. For example, in 1864, there was a physician named Ignaz Semmelweis. He was from Hungary. And he came up with the theory, germ theory. What that was about was there were so many diseases uh, in hospitals that some thought, you know, uh, pe- doctors were thinking, well, these Germans, you know, these sicknesses just jump on people, you know, when they're, when they're weak. Uh, there's no rhyme or reason to it. They just, bah. And some thought, you know, there, there's something about these germs. The doctors, because they were doctors, they thought, I'm a doctor. I'm clean. You know, I wash my hands in the morning, and I don't have to wash them until I go home at night. So what the doctors were literally doing is they would go from patient to patient. They would touch a patient who was sick, and they would go to the next patient and bring those germs into that patient. And so the mortality rate in hospitals was very high. And Semmelweis was beginning to figure that out. In fact, he had his interns wash their hands with a little bit of chlorine before delivering babies, and guess what? They found the mortality rates went down dramatically, dramatically. And so he started talking to the doctors, hey, let's start washing our hands. And you know what they did? They laughed at him. They said, you got to be kidding me, man. I'm a doctor. My hands are clean. Well, there's germs on those hands, man. And so at a huge medical conference back in the day, he pleaded with the doctors, gentlemen, please just wash your hands. And they mocked him and they laughed at him for the next two decades until Louis Pasteur finally showed up and took Simon Weiss's theory seriously. Now, if you've been in a hospital lately, you see the doctors and nurses how often they wash their hands, right? It's because of the germ. Do you see germs? No. But the germs will kill you. You may not see Satan or his demons, but they are out to destroy your life. That is their agenda. And so, Paul is saying, You may not see it, but it's happening. For sure. Number two, intel on the enemy. Paul zooms in and gives us a. He pulls back the curtain to say, "Hey, this is what the enemy's all about." Verse twelve: For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. In verse eleven, B. What's a strategy? What's that about? What's Paul writing about strategies? It's designed by a careful strategist to, to defeat us. That's what Satan is doing. He's a strategist. He's been around a long time, and he's been watching human being behavior, human behavior, and he's chronicled that, and he's been watching you. And he's got memos out. And he sees what triggers he has to pull to get you to sin or compromise or to give in to temptation. He's been watching. Now, I'm not a great mathematician. But if I studied math for the next hundred years, or let's say even the next thousand years, I would become very proficient at it. Don't you think? If that's all I did was studied math, man. If I studied it for the next 6,000 years, I'd be pretty good at it. That's what Satan's been doing over history. He's been watching for thousands and thousands of years, and he's been watching your life. And we have to know, we have to study and realize that, yes, he has a plan to take us out. Clint Arnold gave us gives some strategies on, uh, on Satan in Matthew 4. He says, next, the devil took him, Jesus, to the peak of the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. What's he doing that for? He was trying to appeal to Jesus visually, to put an image in his mind. Satan does that very same thing. He injects images in our minds, if we allow him, that are enticing and are sinful. Ephesians 4.27, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Satan exploits our sinful tendencies. If anger is a weakness in our life, he will use anger to cause you to sin. Whatever your weakness is, whatever your stronghold has become in your life, Satan will use that to cripple you spiritually. Acts five three, Peter said, "Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You have lied to the Holy Spirit, and you have kept some of the money for yourself." What, what what's Peter writing about here? He's saying that Satan enticed Ananias to sin. Okay. You rationalize. I just one lie, one white lie. It's not going to hurt anybody, and we start rationalizing. Okay. Those are the games that Satan uses to thwart what God wants to do in our lives. So, here's a man who was compromised and he ended up writing about it. He says, I was a fool. I believed lies which led me to tell lies. This is why temptation is so tempting. It's insane how quickly it becomes rational and reasonable to believe and do destructive and evil things. When you've been down that road, you realize, doggone it, I gave into that again. You know? Whew. Satan's very good at it. Remember, Jesus said of Satan, He's a liar and a deceiver. So, who are you going to believe? Back in April 1941, off the coast of Norway, an unsuspecting German trawler was seized. Carrying precious cargo. What was that precious cargo? They were two Enigma machines. The Navy Enigma settings for the month. And that's how the Germans planned their strategies in the air, the sea, the land, and sky. So, hey, these machines just look like typewriters. You know, just a simple machine. But they contain the signage to encrypted Nazi communications. So the German Enigma operators could type a message, scramble it, use the receiver machine to unscrabble it, and have specific settings in the process. Well, when the Allies confiscated a few of those, guess what? It was less of a puzzle, more of a roadmap to preempt the Nazis' war operations. British General Harold Alexander said, "...the knowledge not only of the enemy's precise strength and disposition but also how and when and where he intends to carry out his operations brought a new dimension to the prosecution of the war. That's World War II. Finding out what's going on behind the scenes, their intel, their communications with one another. The lesson is the Bible is assuming that God's men and women have broken Satan's code, that we know ahead of time what his plans are. His movements are going to be in advance. We are fully aware of that. In fact, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 2.11, only fools who want to be defeated fail to learn what they're in for. Is that the verse? No, it's not. (laughs) Satan will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. That's what Paul says. He's not going to outsmart us. Why? Because we are familiar with his evil schemes. We are fully aware of his attack, where he's going to attack, when he's going to attack. Do you know he loves to attack when you're physically exhausted? Look at Elijah, man. Wiped out physically, and one woman says, I'm going to take your life, and he goes into panic mode, you know, and he wants to die. So you have to be aware of your physical condition. Am I vulnerable for an attack, temptation to come my way? Paul says you shouldn't be unaware or allow Satan to outsmart us. So Satan's not omnipresent. He's not imno- immobitant and omniscient. Jesus is all those things. First John 4, 4, but you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people because the Spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. That's the great news. Three, the battle is up close and personal. Verse 12, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. This word fighting that Paul uses does not occur anywhere else in the New Testament. It's only here in Ephesians 6. And it refers primarily to wrestling, but can be used more generally of a fight or a battle. Now, first of all, wrestling, I, I was not a wrestler, but I had wrestling and gym. And all I knew was wrestling and gym was about as uh, enough of that that I wanted to participate in and do it no more three minutes man you 're on the mat with another dude, and you are you 're grabbing each other and you 're exerting all of your strength because if you 're not all in on that wrestling mat within five seconds boom you 're going to be on your back and you 're done for it 's over, but I realized in that three minutes man when you 're trying to prevent yourself from being on your back. It is physically exhausting. That's how it is with the enemy. Paul is saying this spiritual battle that you and I are in, are not, it's not being fought from drones. In other words, you're not going to be in a safe room with your little controls and a screen and having drones go out onto the battlefield. No, Paul is saying instead you are, you're going to be up and close with the enemy. What's that about? Because the battle is in your head. It's in your heart. That's the battleground. It's up close. It's personal. And you can't get away from it. And that's why it's imperative that you take control of those thoughts. You know, is that coming from the enemy? Is that coming from my uncle? (laughs) My mom? Where is that coming from? You need to identify it. And if it's not honoring to the Lord, you need to flush it, not flirt with it. During the Vietnam War, the Viet Cong fought in a very primitive way. Russia was giving them... Uh, missile systems to take down our planes. And, but, man, their, their, their uh, military strategy was very primitive. And America had the latest technology, man. And so to prevent the bombs from destroying the Viet Cong, they were told you need to get up close and grab the buckle of the Americans because they realized when they got up close and personal on the battlefield, we could no longer bomb. The enemy without the threat of taking out our own men. You see? That, that, that was the strategy in that particular war. The enemy wants to get up close and personal. And Paul is saying this is a wrestling match, this is a fight. And you have to be aware of it. It's not flesh and blood. In other words, you're not fighting against human beings. These are spirit beings, and we can't be like the passengers on the Lusitania, you know, that I'm just going to go for a cruise. I'm going to get away from it all. No, you, wherever you go, that, bo- that battle follows you. Number two, what do you do? What do you do? Verse 10, you need to be strong. A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil it's important once again to understand that we are engaged in warfare for sure but the way to win this war isn't to focus on the enemy I, I've known some people that get so caught up in demonic activity that they soon are spending less time with God it's all about what the devil's doing You know that's going to mess up your mind And Paul is saying we need to focus in on God. (laughs) You know? Love God, love people, and love life. How does that happen? Because you love God, and you're living for God, and you recognize that God is with you on that battlefield. You have nothing to fear. C.S. Lewis put it this way, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devil. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe in, and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. You know, Satan, if, he, if uh, he could care less whether you believe in him or not, but his ultimate goal is for your destruction. That's his goal. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. In other words, he will do whatever he can to deceive you and thwart God's will and plan for your life. Be strong in the Lord. Notice, Paul doesn't say just be strong. You know, guys tend to, you know, they, they, they bump each other in the chest and they say, "Just be strong. Hang in there. Be tough. Yeah, be tough." Paul is saying that there's got to be more than that on the spiritual battlefield. You can't be strong in yourself. It's not. It's gonna. It, you're not going to make it spiritually if you're counting on your own abilities and your own intelligence. Paul says, be strong in the Lord. That's where your strength comes from and in his mighty power. It literally means let somebody else strengthen you. Paul is saying you're not strong enough to handle this particular battle. You need God's power and strength inside of you and relying on that. Joby Martin pastors on in Florida. He was a uh, former bodybuilder. And he says that in a lot of ways, Christians are like bodybuilders. What's that about? He said, when I was a bodybuilder, I never did anything with my strength. I worked out all the time, but never fought, never played sports. I only flexed. Sounds like fun, huh? Hey, let's go flex. <laughs> uh... A lot of Christians are like that," he said. They puff themselves up, but they never do anything. They know all the stuff about God, but they never exercise their belief. They just show up in church and flex. <laughs> That's all they do. Paul is saying, "Hey, hey, this battle is more than flexing. You know, it's it's more than that." Um, Ephesians 1, 19 through 22, Paul tells us where this power comes from. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. When you put your faith in Christ, that power moved in. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else not only in this world but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. God put everything under his feet including Satan and his demons friend. He's done that. So that's that's the good news. So we need to be strong. So point one, we're not alone. We're not alone. Romans 12, 4 and 5, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. This is back to church Sunday. It's a reminder that we need each other. Paul is saying that Ephesians 6 is not written about one soldier going on the battlefield. He's writing this letter to the church the corporate church. Peoples, plural, not person. Paul is saying we, as a body of Christ, we need to go into this battlefield together. We need each other. In fact, um, you heard that this week the guys are starting men's fraternity tomorrow night, and gentlemen, I would encourage you to plug into that. That is one of the best opportunities for you about biblical manhood, man. It, it nails it. And then we're doing a study with um, uh, Tony Evans on Tuesday mornings, Kingdom Man. We need to plug in to life groups, man, if you want to grow spiritually. In fact, the study shows that. Those who are not involved in life groups are missing out on one of the most effective tools for Christian growth. 63% of regular group attenders say they intentionally spend time together with other believers in order to help them grow in their faith. Only 22% of those not in a group say the same. Churchgoers who belong to a group are more likely to go to church at least four times a month and to read the Bible daily. Being in a group also impacts people's daily lives. Group members feel closer to God, understand the Bible better, trust God more, and become more loving in their relationships. So there you have it. You need to plug in with somebody else. You can't live this life alone. You're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. National Back to Church Sunday. Why? Because You've seen it. People get bumped off the rails. They stop going to church. They start compromising their lifestyles, their choices. Pretty soon they are cold towards the things of God. We need each other. We need to encourage each other. So Paul is saying he's writing to the church corporate. Number two, we can be strengthened. We can be strengthened. Be strong in the Lord. Literally, that reads, receive from the Lord what you need in order to be strong. Isn't that great? Receive it from the Lord. He's willing to give it so that you can remain strong. Thank you, Lord. Three verses that you can write down and read at a later date. Hebrews 2.14. Hebrews 2.14. Colossians 2.15. And Ephesians 2.4 and 6. It talks about how Jesus defeated the powers of darkness. And guess what? We can celebrate that in our own personal lives as well because we are Christ followers. We can be strengthened through His power and strength. And number three, here's the great news we can stand. Aren't you glad for that? We can stand. You don't have to worry about being taken out, man. He is the vine and we are the branches. A man, as long as we abide with him, we aren't going anywhere. We're going to stand. Verses 11, 13, 14a, there's a word that keeps popping up. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Verse 13, therefore put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil then after the battle you will still be standing firm. Verse 14 stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. There you have it. A hundred and four years ago, the passengers got on the Lusitania and they thought they were going all the way to England in the midst of a war. They didn't believe the warning. And it cost most of them their lives. We are in a state of war. Paul told us. He warned us. And he encourages each one of us through it all. That we can walk in victory when Jesus Christ is empowering us. Wednesday night, in our study... um, they told a story about a boa constrictor special on National Geographic. And it talked about a woman who had a pet boa constrictor, and she was concerned about it, her, her boa. She called the boa Betsy. They were good friends. And she said to the animal doctor, I'm worried about Betsy. She's not eating uh, is she sick? And so the doctor said, "Well, let me ask you some questions. Where, where does where does Betsy live?" And the woman says, "Well, I have her her glass cage in my bedroom. And there's times. You know, do you ever do you ever hold Betsy? Yeah, I, I take her out of the cage and we h- cuddle and hold. You know, and it's it's so warm and fuzzy. And he says, well, do you ever let Betsy get in the bed with you? Oh, yeah, Betsy and I, oh, yeah, we're good friends. And, and In fact, the other night, Betsy was, I, I woke up in the middle of the night, and she was laying right next to me. She wasn't touching me, but she was laying straight, kind of stretching out in the bed. And I was thinking, man, that's kind of weird. never saw her do that before. And the doctor said, I've got some good news and bad news for you. The good news is Betsy hasn't eaten you yet. The bad news is Betsy's been starving herself because you are bigger than she is. And Betsy was stretching in your bed the other night because she realizes you're bigger than she is and she's preparing her body to devour you. How many of us are flirting with Betsy's in our life. Hmm? You know, we think we can flirt with sin. We can cuddle with sin. You know, I'm just going to do this one more time. No, that sin is preparing to devour you, to destroy you. That's the plan. And so this morning, Paul is, is challenging the church that, man, we're in a battle. It's serious. But we need to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. And we will stand until Jesus comes again. For a moment, is there a Betsy in your life that's preventing you from going all in in your relationship with Christ? Is it an addiction? Is it a relationship? Is it a habit? Put a name and face on it because you need to have Betsy stop sleeping in your bed because soon Betsy will devour you. That's her goal. Father, thank you today for the honor that we had to read your word, to listen to the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, modern-day Turkey. And Lord, Lord, Sometimes we get tired of being on the battlefield. Sometimes battle fatigue settles in. I pray for every person in this room this morning that's been flirting with a Betsy. Lord, may we be awakened to the true condition of our spiritual temperature. Help us, Lord, to remove anything that's preventing us from going all in with you. Forgive us, Lord, if we have been deceived and lied to and we believe that over what you have to say about us through your word. Jesus, we are grateful how you keep pursuing us, how you keep coming after us because you love so much I pray that your spirit this morning, Lord, will convict us if we are in a compromising situation, whatever it may be. If we've allowed Betsy to take your place in our lives, forgive us, Lord. And we thank you for your power that is resident. Within every follower of Christ, we're grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.